go. She's already captain. Thanks, Billy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Stephen King cast, one man's musings on the works of Stephen King. Each week, I'll review one entry in the bibliography of Stephen King in the chronological order of publication. And today, what I get to discuss, uh, what I get to celebrate, actually, uh, is a better word for it. What I get to celebrate is uh, the release of this week's trailer for New Line Cinema's upcoming adaptation of Stephen King's 1986 masterpiece, The Crown Jewel in the Collection of Horror that made him the uh, title of the Master of Horror, and that, of course, is IT. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, longtime listeners of the Stephen King cast will know that uh, it was it for me. That was my first, that was my gateway into the world of Stephen King way back when, when I was in sixth grade. I fell in love and I never looked back. <clears throat> and uh, for those of you who are tuning in for the first time, you can hear all of my thoughts on uh, why it is a special book, why it is um, as well received as it is, why it endures to this day with my three and a half part review of, of the, the novel as well <clears throat> as my review of his uh, the adaptation, the 1990, I believe, uh, ABC miniseries starring Tim Curry. So I have put out a lot of thought on it, and I am very happy that I have more thoughts to come as we have a, uh, a crisp, stylish-looking movie uh, to look forward to this summer. So I look forward to uh, discussing sort of uh, everything that has led to this moment. I'm going to put this uh, trailer into some context here, um, and then I'll, I'll, I'll discuss why I believe this trailer worked as well as it did. But in the meantime, um, I would like to uh, share some iTunes reviews because I can't do this without you, and all of the kind words spoken about the Stephen King cast on iTunes has helped legitimize the Stephen King cast, and it's, it's the reason why the Stephen King cast is listened to in multiple countries throughout the world. So it's all because of awesome listeners like yourselves who write kind things, such as... Um, Brett Daniluk, who writes awesome podcast. I look forward to uh, new, a new episode every week. A must-listen for Stephen King fans and horror fans in general. So, Brand Daniluk, thank you uh, so much for for writing in. And then, appropriately enough, for a another it uh, podcast, uh, Spider Jet Bones writes, feels so right. Um. I have become a huge King fan after I discovered Audible and was 15 books deep before I came across this podcast, and it feels like a discussion with a trusted friend to me. I enjoy the hell out of it and highly recommend it to any constant reader. So Spider Jet Bones, first of all, that is a pretty badass name. Uh, and also just thank you. Uh, I Many of you have written and said something along those lines of, how I've just kind of become a trusted voice out there, and that, that means the world to me. 
Um, and I do apologize if this trusted voice uh, isn't coming through as clearly as possible. Uh, those of you who have been listening for a while know that I have lent my uh, microphone out to a friend of mine who does a weekly podcast and because I have not been producing weekly. Um, it's just easier for him to hold on to it. I'll get it back uh, later this spring or summer um, when I when I sort of relaunch uh, the Stephen King cast on a on a weekly basis. But in the meantime, I'm just using the 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 computer built-in microphone, which doesn't sound as good. Ten uh, MT Forties writes absolutely great podcast. I originally came to this podcast because of the Dark Tower. After loving every second of the coverage of the Dark Tower, I decided to start from the beginning and listen to all of the episodes. I was not disappointed. Not only does the host show genuine love for the material, but he provides great insight into each work. If you love Stephen King, love him with the Stephen King cast. You will find a worthy friend. Ah, thank you, 10MT40s. Uh, that was very, very nice, very kind. Um, really, really appreciate it. R.P. Church writes, We don't know his name, but we love him all the same. Such a great resource. This could practically be a college English class uh, focused on the writings of one Stephen King. Such great analysis, and he tackles it, all of it, oh so well, with no fluff, no filler. My only negative? I wish I'd discovered it earlier. So, R.P. Church, um, thank you. Uh, this, yes, the, 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 the English college course uh, aspect of it was one of the the, the goals that I had um, the, the 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 heavy analysis it's just it's uh, it it definitely was one of the things that I, I had thought about as I created it so for it to be acknowledged that is that's it's 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 high praise thank you the Stephen King universe writes a wonderful addition to the Stephen King Canon Nicely done, sir. Even if this podcast is at times not the most crisply produced podcast you've ever heard, know that this is the work of one man with a family who is a dead serious Stephen King fan. Um, so Stephen King Universe, right there, I just want to pause. I want to say thank you for that acknowledgement. Um, yes, I don't ask for money. I don't run ads for money. Um, I don't do... Um, uh, Kickstarters or Patreon or any sort of donation. Not saying that I might not in the future, but for the last three years um, that I've been doing this, I have not. Um, I just come back from work, I hang out with my family, and when I have time, I, I do this. Um, so for that to be acknowledged, I, I really, really appreciate it. Um, and he continues, each episode is extremely thought-provoking, but I warn you, Read each book before you listen to its episode. These are not spoiler-free. And Stephen King Universe, thank you for reminding uh, listeners out there. Um, this is a, a failure on my part, and I fully acknowledge it, that I do not um, throw out spoiler warnings nearly as much as I should. So for those of you listening right now, um, please understand that at any given time, I just might drop Stephen King spoilers for anything. Uh, which it when when something comes to mind uh, to to mind. This is a podcast that um, really is is for the the diehards. I encourage everyone to listen to it, but you should not listen to it um, certainly before you read the uh, the material that, that that I'm talking about because this is uh, especially the older episodes the where I I followed each book in the chronological order of publication. It, it was designed specifically to be an analysis, so there's going to be spoilers. 
Noble 6163 writes, For the constant reader, all things King, an insightful look at King's books and movies from his writings. In chronological order, and loaded with spoilers, so readers beware, especially if you are a tower junkie and haven't completed the journey. Heed warning and wave off until you finish the series. So thank you, Noble6163. I really, really appreciate it. Um, and I, I really did enjoy my my journey again uh, on uh, my my other time around, my uh, last time around on, on the Dark Tower cycle. That was... Uh, that was it was really fun, and that was one of the the impetuses for me doing the the Stephen King cast was so I could put all of King's works into the context of the larger Dark Tower universe. So that was that was a blast. So guys, if you haven't done so already, um, any any review uh, will go a long way in in legitimizing the the Stephen King cast um, as being the foremost. Uh, podcast out there uh, on the works of Stephen King. So that would be greatly appreciated. I know that we are all strapped for time, but if you have a couple of minutes on, on your hands, um, leaving a review on iTunes does not take very long, and it would really help me out. So thank you, everybody that has done that, and everyone, and thank you, everyone that's about to. I, I, can't, I can't thank you enough. And up next, I have an email from Casey who writes, Greetings, Constant Reader. I discovered your Stephen King cast a little over a week ago. I have never really read any King novels, save for some short stories, but have loved many of his movie adaptations. You believe that, Happy Crappy? So with all the King adaptations on the way, this past year I decided to want to read as much King as I can. I decided to start with Pet Cemetery, which happens to be my favorite of his horror adaptations. Has there ever been a more perfect casting choice than Fred Gwynn as Judd Crandall, by the way? Great observation. I don't know if I can argue that. Then I decided I wanted to read whatever titles were about to be adapted, so I blasted through the Stand, It, the Dark Tower series, and I'm currently in the middle of Gerald's game. I was so stoked to find your podcast. I listened to every episode of which I've read the book. Your insight and analysis, especially with the Dark Tower and Randall Flag, is incredibly entertaining and thoughtful. The whole production of your podcast is just great, and it kind of makes me want to start one in some form or another myself. I can't wait to listen to your analysis of Gerald's game when I'm done. Now, about Castle Rock. I don't have a ton to say other than from the descriptions I'm hearing about it. I get a Once Upon a Time vibe from it. Just a bunch of familiar characters from King's Universe all weaved into this new original story. You didn't speculate too much in your episode after the teaser dropped, but I'm sure now that you've sat with it for about a week, you'll have many more ideas of what this could be. I look forward to hearing more from you, and even though you've completed your mission statement, I still have many books to get through, and in turn, many more hours of your fantastic podcast to keep me occupied. So say, so thank you, Cy, and let the speculation begin. Um, so Casey, uh, first of all, thank you. Um, thank you, and thank you for... Uh, becoming a Stephen King fan, it's awesome to, to see that you're just getting into him. You have a, you have a lot of uh, good experiences and sad experiences uh, ahead of you, um, but I'm, I'm glad that I can be with you every step of the way. That's awesome. Um, in regards to Castle Rock, to be perfectly honest, I haven't thought too much about it after the teaser dropped, um, which isn't a knock against Castle Rock. It's just life being what it is. I haven't been um, obsessing over it, um, but I know that 
any time in the next weeks or months, there will be more information. Some listeners out there on Facebook and Twitter have um, shared some resources with me that I haven't had time to go through yet. I know there's been some interviews out there, and I will get to them eventually just so I can start to, to, to percolate these thoughts in my head. Um, I am excited about Castle Rock. Um, I also am a little bit hesitant because it was a fantastic teaser trailer, um, and this is done by J.J. Abrams. And one thing about J.J. Abrams is the dude knows how to make a teaser. All right, uh, the, the the teaser and the trailer for Eleven Twenty Two Sixty Three had me super pumped. I thought it was fantastic, and I think it was the best part of Eleven Two uh, Eleven Twenty Two Sixty Three. Um, those of you that, that listened to my episode-by-episode episode reviews of, of that adaptation know that it was pretty awful, uh, and I don't really have too many good things to say about it. It was just wasn't great, um, and it, it really missed the, the heart of what the, that story could have been. But um, the, the heart, I, I believe, was on display in, in that teaser trailer. So um, Castle Rock was a fantastic tease. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to add up to anything. And that's a lot more negative than I, than I, I meant for it to come out. I'm just saying that, that, that Abrams is good at, at, at providing that mystery. That's his whole shtick, right? The mystery box. He's good, he's good at selling a concept. Um, and he's definitely sold Castle Rock. So he's done, he's done half the work. I mean, we're going to buy it. We are going to watch it. Um, we are going to talk about it. I will have episodes about it. I will generate content and chatter and buzz about it. So that work is done. It doesn't have to be good. I hope it's good. I want it to be good. But it doesn't necessarily have to be at this point because we are all going to tune in. So if you haven't done so already, guys... Um, Feel free to write in to stephenkingcast at yahoo.com because um, I love getting your emails. I love interacting with you. Uh, if you have written me and I haven't responded yet, I will respond uh, at some point when I have a few minutes on my hands. Well, in the meantime, I will definitely share your thoughts online. And guys, if you hear a gross noise uh, um, being picked up on audio right now, um, that would be the... Uh, Reappearance of my one of my furry co-hosts, who is in the midst of just going to town on her paws right now, um, just the discussing dulcet, uh, soothing tones of life with the pug. Uh, it uh, never a dull moment. All right, guys, uh, and the other noise is the uh, the the uh, heat coming through the vents. So again, I do apologize for all of this background noise. It's just uh, me in my basement. All right. Now, with all of that out of the way, let's talk about it. All right. Um, so here is... So when I record this right now, I'm recording this on, on March 31st. Uh, this episode is not an April Fool's joke. Um, and this was a big week. This was a big week for, for us fans of Stephen King. So my history with the, the current 2017 New Line Cinema It adaptation um, ha has been a little bit rocky, all right, because originally uh, Kerry Fukunaga uh, was scheduled to direct it. Uh, he co-wrote the script, and for those of you who don't know, Kerry Fukunaga is the visionary director of uh, the first season of HBO's True Detective, a season which uh, 
is it's not even you can't even argue it. I mean, it's just far and away better than the second season, which was Kerry Fukunaga less. Um, so we, we we know that one of the the main reasons, aside from the fact that it it starred two best friends whose um, relationship with with each other just really crackled on screen and. Matthew McConaughey's performance as Rust Cole was phenomenal. Um, it and and certainly Nick Pizzolatto's Nick Pizzolatto's um, writing was was fun and chewy. Um, time is a flat circle and all that. But uh, I think Kerry Fukunaga's direction was what made True Detective as special as it was. As we saw in the second season, without Kerry Fukunaga, the quality dipped greatly. So for Kerry Fukunaga to be attached to it, um, there were scenes in True Detective that were so pulse-pounding, so heart-stopping, so dread-filled, um, so squirm-inducing that it the thought of him directing this story was a match made in heaven. It was... Uh, like so excited and for those of you who had listened to those earlier episodes of the Stephen King cast you know how excited I was make a long story short um that fell through uh Kerry Fukunaga walked away um I believe creative differences New Line Cinema looked wasn't going to adhere to his vision and actually birthmoviesdeath.com just published a a very interesting novel. I tweeted the link out to it today about um, what that movie could have been. The 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 I don't remember who who wrote the article, but the writer of the article read the uh, original script for uh, Kerry Fukunaga's uh, um, It, and um, so the they're able to give a review of what that script was and sort of piece together what kind of movie uh, Kerry Fukunaga was looking to make. Um, and so there's a lot of interesting ideas in there. Um, there's some deviations um, from the source material, as is natural. Um, there's some interesting takes. There's some interesting changes. Um, and there are some uh, very faithful adaptations involved. Um, but every step of the way, it looks like there was thought put behind it. But that's neither here nor there. If you want to read the breakdown of what it could have been, head on over to birthmoviesdeath.com. But in the meantime, when Kerry Fukunaga walked away from it, I I just soured on the project. I felt that New Line didn't give a shit about it, the property, um, that they would just let Kerry Fukunaga come in hot off the heels of True Detective, just walk away. Um, It just didn't sit right with me. So I didn't care. I didn't care for the longest time. Um, I just thought it was going to be bad. And then, uh, then social media started to change my mind. So the new director, um, Andres, Andres uh, Muschietti, uh, I'm probably really mispronouncing it, but <laughs> then again, I mispronounced Kerry Fukunaga for about, about three years to the chagrin of many listeners out there. Kori Fukunaga, I believe I called him forever. But uh, on, so Andres Muschietti is now the new Kori Fukunaga, I guess. In more ways than one. Uh, so the the new director's Instagram account, um, it just really made it seem like uh, he, along with uh, the kids, uh, the actors, uh, and the producers, were just really having a great time on the set. There was a joy that seemed to be found there, which really intrigued me because when um, a a movie crew 
is having a good time, I pay attention because that to me speaks that something something is happening. It means that the director has shared a vision that is um, bought by the the people working on it. And so I, I started to get very, very intrigued. Um, and much like the, the, the photos uh, that were being taken on location of uh, the Dark Tower filming in New York this past summer, same summer, um, the photos from fans living in the towns of um, a couple Canadian towns, uh, Port Hope and Oshawa, um, you know, they showed that this town, these towns became Derry. I mean, we saw these towns transformed into Derry, uh, a Derry that was taking place in the 1980s. Um, and, and, and we even watched the, the construction of the house on Nybolt Street through fans taking photos. So I, I started to get very excited. And then Andres uh, Muschietti then began posting pictures uh, from the his own pictures of the, the, the filming on, on location um, of, of missing children uh, flyers on telephone poles, which for fans in the know, it just made for exciting marketing uh, to begin generating a buzz around this movie. And I started to become very intrigued because it just started to look good. It didn't hurt at the same time. Stranger Things hit Netflix and really made me say, hey, you know what? I'm down for a Stephen King story about kids on bikes. So my excitement level started to rise. And then we have Entertainment Weekly. Entertainment Weekly dropped that first image of Pennywise the Dancing Clown. And what? An image now. Entertainment Weekly, as I have discussed um, over the last few months, um, specifically led by the reporting of uh, Anthony Bresnikan, Entertainment Weekly has become the platform for not just breaking Stephen King news, but where the Stephen King news is first announced and celebrated. So this first image of Bill Skarsgård as Pennywise is it's full of shadow and menace, and though you don't see much, you see enough. Uh, to get people talking about it, and you see enough to see that it's different. And it reminded me of when uh, we had the first tease of Heath Ledger's The Joker. It was a, you know, his white face, his scarred face with the, the deep black eye sockets just floating in darkness. And it was very, very similar to this. Um, There's not a lot of context around it. It's not very flashy. It's the antithesis of how Warner Brothers... Uh, unveiled Jared Leto's Joker. Um, but this reveal of Pennywise was enough to get people talking. And then a few short months later, we got a full look at the costume, again, from Entertainment Weekly, with a complete description of the rationale behind the costume, which recontextualizes the concept of it not as just uh, an extra-dimensional entity, extra-dimensional entity, but one that doesn't quite understand the world in which it's existed for a millennium. So by taking on different components and aspects of clowns as they've been portrayed throughout the years, it shows that this is an alien's idea of a clown. So the horror here isn't that it's a clown where a clown shouldn't be, which has been the thrust of King's book and a TV miniseries and an aspect that I applauded, um, but... Instead, it's an alien creature's inhuman approximation of what it thinks a clown should be. This is a distinct shift. Hey, maybe. 
and one that is well thought out. So though it's not my preferred choice, I respected the thought because I had seen the original concept of the, the clown in both my imagination when I read the book on multiple occasions and, of course, Tim Curry's performance um, when I first saw the, 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 the ABC TV miniseries. And I found myself getting very excited about this new take and very, very impressed with the thought behind it. Okay? Then he didn't hear much about it. Then South by Southwest happened, uh, the cinema festival. And there was footage unveiled, including the trailer, and the buzz started to grow. And they were saying this was a great trailer. And the things that were seen were scary. So then I was like, okay, here we go. You hear some things on some sites that there is some chatter that it's not great. Okay, I didn't hear much about that. But at South By, I heard that this, the footage that they were showing, which might not be indicative of the movie, and I'll get back to that, but what they were showing was great. Then, this past Tuesday, Tuesday hits with not only a teaser for the trailer, but a ridiculously effective poster as well. So I'm going to talk about the poster first, then I'm going to talk about the teaser, then I'm going to talk about the trailer. So with the poster first. It highlights some of the most famous images from the original story. Uh, Georgie in his yellow slicker, the red balloon, the hint of the clown, the, the, the wet streets that kick off the book. Now, you don't see much of Pennywise, much like that first photo that they had shown in Entertainment Weekly, but you see enough, and you don't have to see much of Pennywise. This is a teaser poster, and you see a hint of his face through the balloon, which is very, very interesting looking. The darkness, the corpse white shade of his costuming, the blood red balloon, the bright yellow of Georgie's Morton Salt Girl raincoat, it, it all makes... For an incredibly striking and dread-filled poster. I would argue that it's already an iconic movie poster. And I, I haven't even talked about the wording on the poster. I mean, aside from the images, which convey a, a frightening creature emerging from the darkness to confront a small child who is in the midst of taking a single step towards the thing, four words are stamped on display. The title, It, along with the tagline, You'll float too. This tagline could have been anything, but the producers and the marketing team decided on the simplest and most fanboyish one. You'll float too. It's a no-brainer, really. That line, spoken by Tim Curry in the ABC miniseries, is one of the most famous lines ever uttered in a horror movie. So to see the words on the posters show that the creators know exactly the story they have on their hands here. And it's not a celebration of just the miniseries, but a celebration of the language from the book as well. All right? Um, that is, first and foremost, from the book. But guys, here's the one that really gets me. The one that really, really gets me. The font. Now, the miniseries, if I, crawl, if I uh, recall correctly, opted for a font that resembled the block lettering um, from the, the, the title of the book. However, the poster, uh, the teaser, and the trailer, so the, the font for this movie, for the title of this movie, revealed lettering that is nearly identical to, spoiler alert, the bloody suicide note that adult Stan scrawls on his bathroom wall. 
To opt for that specific look indicates a respect and a love for the original text and lets us know that there was an attention to detail in the making of this movie. Now I'm going to get to more of that attention to detail when I discuss the trailer, but in the meantime, A+, plus, guys, A+, plus on this poster. It conveys the dread and menace of this movie, the innocence of the child, the luring monstrosity of it. It captures the iconography of the classic images, reveals familiar callbacks to the book, and most importantly, it's simply a very, very, very visually styling poster. So, great job on this poster. Then, guys, we get the teaser. And this teaser made the next 24 hours of my life agonizing to get through. Now, we don't see much. Just the inside of a pipe. Um, the reveal of the movie title um, at the end of the pipe as it opens up into the barrens with the ghostly voices of not just dead George, but the losers uh, discussing the clown. From Pennywise's perspective as it exits the pipe, this teaser does exactly what it should. It teases the viewer into wanting more. It gives us enough to invoke classic elements of the book and gives us a taste of two settings, the sewers and the barons, both of which look exactly how I want them to. So the next 24 hours were brutal. I watched this teaser over and over again. I could not wait for the trailer. My hopes were high. I was worried that I was getting my hopes up too high that, you know, I'm thinking to myself, well, like, okay, so thinking about like great teasers and trailers from the past, um, you know, I've been let down before. And I'm trying to think of like horror movie teasers and trailers. I, I, I just... There are very rarely, like, horror movie trailers that get me super pumped. I might like them, but they don't get me pumped, all right? This teaser was getting me pumped. Like, I was waiting for a, a, a trailer for, I don't know, Christopher Nolan's next movie or a Marvel movie or something of the sort, you know? But this was for a horror movie. As much as I loved it, um, horror movies don't get you pumped, right? But still, I found myself anticipating this, this this trailer. I wanted it. I wanted it badly. And then I'm checking Twitter all day. I'm like, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? And then uh, at some point, I checked the Twitter feed, and my feed was blowing up, and I was getting texts from friends. And I said, oh, God, it's here. I got to watch it. What is it going to give me? Couldn't wait. I furiously type on my keyboard. I pull it up, and immediately... I just, I couldn't stop smiling. I was just into it from the get-go. So it's just about two minutes long. Um, and it, it just does what a trailer should do. I mean, not only does this thing convey the tone of the film, but it provides a great look at the setting, the conflict, the characters, of, of and the story. So this past weekend, we got the trailer for Justice League United. Um, which is just a hodgepodge of images that, when put together, don't convey anything other than um, darkness, a little bit of humor that isn't really landing very well, um, and characters, but the characters' interactions with each other don't really convey much relationship, or I just... I am a DC... Like, I'm a DC fan, I'm a comic books fan, like, I know what to expect for, but even with that said, if I didn't know the plot of what Justice League United was going to be, the trailer did not convey that to me, okay? Conversely, 
this trailer tells me the story without showing everything the way the Spider-Man Homecoming uh, trailer just revealed this past week. It revealed a little bit too much. This smack dab in the middle. It reveals who the characters are, what the setting is, what the plot is, what the story is going to be, without giving away too much. While teasing the entire time, building some mystery, giving a tease of some set pieces, the tone, what to expect, and then pulling away, right? So it is a very well done uh, trailer. I'll talk about the success of this trailer towards the end of this podcast. Um, but the thing is, this is conveyed, everything I just said, succinctly, stylishly. And even though it does help to know the material, I don't think that you need to. I mean, simply put, this trailer stands on its own merits. Now, some might argue that it relies on imagery and dialogue from the original miniseries. I, I happen to disagree with that um, because the more famous elements of the miniseries are simply watered-down recreations from the book. So I would say that based on what I saw here, this is a slick translation of what King brought us back in 1986 with some tweaks and changes, naturally. Um, you know, first and foremost, the fact that it's not taking place in 1958, but it's taking place in the 1980s, um, which I'm on record, uh, long on record, saying that I think that that is the absolute 100% right choice to make. But I would say that the strength of this movie lies um, in its respect of the source, ma uh, source material, uh, you know, changes notwithstanding. And by translating that source material into a two-minute trailer, it, it can't be easy. Um, but I was speaking with a friend today uh, who had never read the book, he'd never seen the original movie, and he wanted my thoughts, because uh, he knows I'm a Stephen King fan, and I said I loved it. And then he commented that what he saw from this trailer was legitimately frightening. Now, this is a guy that doesn't have that context of being a Stephen King fan. So, for the non-fan, this trailer worked. It conveyed fright, which is what you want out of a horror movie. So, specifically, he stated that... You know, while he didn't understand the, the, the context of Georgie screaming, you'll float too, towards the end, he said that that got stuck in his head and it scared him and he couldn't stop thinking about it. So that, to me, that there you go. That is a sign that this is an effective trailer. So let's go through this trailer. It begins as it should with our brothers, the Denbros, Bill and Georgie. Ghostly piano uh, music is playing in the background. And we see the words... SS Georgie. And guys, I just got goosebumps saying that out loud. Now, as I when I watched this for the first time, I realized that I was about to see a tease of one of the most famous scenes in horror history before my eyes. So we get here what we need to get. The loving relationship between two brothers and Georgie's fateful adventure in the rain. And it was when Georgie stepped outside into the rain when any hesitation I might have had with this trailer, um, heading into it, completely blew away. This movie simply looks slick. And not in an in-your-face Zack Snyder way, but with a skillful elegance. I mean, the juxtaposition of Georgie's yellow slicker against the gray water and the green grass. The trailer just doesn't feel good. It looks good. And the director manages to capture moments in such a way that immortalize already immortalized scenes and beats, both large and small, whether it be the angle of a boat being placed into the rainwater or the overhead shot of Georgie chasing after it. And that lack of hesitation that I now felt 
morphed into confidence, like legitimate, like, holy shit, they know what they're doing, confidence. When the camera lingered on a street sign well known to Stephen King fans. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, Jackson Street. Look, here's the deal. This could have been any old street. Lesser directors could have given our boy a shout out and named it King Street or Curry Street, right? That'd be a little Easter egg, something that I would expect to see. But that's not what happened here. The director decided to not just keep Jackson Street, but to focus on it. So for us Uber fans, us constant readers, longtime members of the Losers Club, to see Jackson Street so prominently is not just a celebration. It is a giddy warning of what was about to happen on Jackson Street. For us fans, this street sign wasn't just an Easter egg, but a loop on the roller coaster ride the trailer was taking us on. The focusing on the sign was part of the story that this trailer was telling us. So for those of us um, who are familiar with Jackson Street, dread now awaits. The boat is cruising on the current, and Georgie is too caught up in chasing after it. He doesn't see the Dairy Public Works barrier and runs smack dab into it. Again, it's just a fan in me, but seeing Dairy Public Works got me all excited. And just like that, the spell of the moment is broken. The music ceases, and Georgie watches the boat swirl into the storm drain, which will soon claim his life in a few short moments. Again, all of this is, is captured with such attention to detail. Muschietti captures these beats with such precision that they don't just happen to be on the screen, they sear the emotion into us. We see the boat, small, helpless, as it teeters toward the drain. We see the boat from the perspective from the inside of the drain as it plummets. And for everyone who might not have known what they were watching when they first started, the footage now starts to have an understanding. It's the moment before the shark attacks, the beat before something jumps out of the closet. With the only sound being the rainwater splashing into the sewer below, the scene follows Georgie for an agonizing moment as he peers into the darkness looking for his boat. It's a very long beat for a trailer, and it works. The tension builds and builds like an inflating balloon ready to pop, which it does with the pinprick of the clown's reveal. You don't see the death and you barely see Pennywise, but you see enough. And less than a minute into the trailer, the tone is so palpable, the movie has just sold itself. Honestly, this could have been it. And this trailer still would have blown up. And I wish that I had seen this trailer in a dark theater with an unsuspecting crowd because as soon as Pennywise appears, I would have loved to have laughed along with all the screams and the nervous chuckling that would have come. But going back to the celebration of the source material, this, this teaser proudly pushes King's name from out of the darkness. It cuts from George to blackness. And from that blackness emerges the name of the man that brought us this story, Stephen King. This is exactly how it should be marketed. And I hope that it reminds the world why he's considered the master of horror. So between this and the Castle Rock teaser last month, there's a lot of love being thrown at the king. And it's all more than well-deserved. It's great to see. Longtime fans will remember my complaint of the choral standing, uh, starring adaptation of the short story Grandma, uh, codenamed Mercy, which was marketed... Uh, as being a film starring Chandler Riggs from The Walking Dead and the producers of Paranormal Activity without any mention of Stephen King. Contrast that with the pride on display um, within less than a minute in this trailer. 
Specifically, the lettering reads, from Stephen King's terrifying novel. So there we go. Right there, I like how it's distancing itself necessarily from the miniseries, which a lot of people are familiar with. And going directly back to the, the, his, his magnum opus, um, which is still like my favorite. I love it. And it's just great. It's his ultimate. I, you have all my thoughts on it. You can go listen to the, 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 the three plus episodes that I've, I've done. But I like that the focus here is on the novel, not the ABC miniseries. So from there, we get an establishing shot of Derry. Now, I'm not sure whether this is Port Hope or Oshawa, um, but it's the point here is that it looks like Derry. It doesn't look exactly like Bangor, which is what Derry is based on, um, but it certainly looks like Derry. You know, you can see the canal, you can see a few bridges, and it's not hard to imagine Adrian Mellon being thrown from one of those bridges. Aside from the fact that this looks like Derry, it's just simply a beautiful shot of a New England filmed in Canada town during summertime. And then we get the one-two punch of the boys narrating. Derry is not like other towns, they say, with the image of kids on bikes. So like I said earlier, with Stranger Things having us primed, this image of kids on bikes um, about to have a terrifying adventure is something we've proven that we want out of our pop culture. With the narration, we learn that people disappear with six times the national average of any other town. Again, with the haunting words juxtaposed against what looks to be a beautiful-looking town, it speaks to the true horrors of Derry, Maine that we are all familiar with. From there, we get missing posters, including Patrick Hockstetter, who suffered one of King's most gruesome deaths in the book, a sign for the curfew, and a shot of Ben in the library that is so unsettling it made me smile. He turns around to watch a balloon float across the room. But that's not really it. That's the thing. The balloon doesn't float across the room. The balloon moves across the room from left to right. It doesn't bob. It doesn't bounce. Uh, the string doesn't trail behind. It's, it's, the string stri sticks straight down like a stick. Now, in the book, at one point, Ben sees the clown on a frozen... Um, on, on ice, basically, uh, beneath a bridge and realizes that the balloons are blowing against the wind. There's something fundamentally wrong about that. Um, and though it's not exactly the same, this conveys that same sensation to me. What he is seeing is wrong. It's not just scary or creepy or spooky. It's wrong. There's a balloon floating where there should be no balloon. And it is not moving like a balloon should. Again, this is a, a very quick beat. Um, and it's one without blood or jump scares. But it is enough to convey deep, deep dread and then we get the ghostly voice um, of a child or children uh, the same ones that we had heard from the teaser saying we all float down here where why the sewers which are a band of losers begin to venture into a beam of flashlight illuminates gloom and water and as the children begin to head into the darkness we catch glimpses of other scenes the losers discussing how they have all seen the clown. Um, and the camera presents our introduction to a fan favorite aspect of the book that never made it into the ABC miniseries. That's right, The House on Nybold Street, which looks very spruced up for the movie, but conveys a stylish haunted house, which I'm totally into. Um, we see what I believe probably will be our bullies. Henry Bowers looks aged up um, to driving age, along with Belch and Victor. Um, so it looks like we're going to get more of a Ace Merrill uh, 
type situation where Ace was a few years older than the uh, the kids from the body. So it wasn't the same age, just a, a little bit older um, to terrorize younger kids. I think that's what we're getting here with, with Henry Bowers. Um, and let's see. So at this point, uh, the music is, is pretty cool. It's twisted. It's creepy. And then from here, the teaser heads into the big set piece, which is the slideshow carousel. So our losers are assembled together to investigate Derry. They're doing their detective work, piecing together the dark truth of the sewers when the slideshow starts to take on a life of its own. And Bill's mother um, begins to flick from uh, frame to frame, her hair blowing back to slowly and agonizingly reveal the white face of the smiling clown. It is a powerful and clever update to the scrapbook from the book and the miniseries, and it works wonders on the big screen. And also, with this being the closest thing to a full reveal of Pennywise, I think that it also works on a metatextual level, if you think about it. I mean, the kids are projecting the image onto a screen after all, and in the screen, the clown confronts the viewers. So not only is this Pennywise's debut to the kids, it's the big screen version of Pennywise's debut to the audience watching at home. And based on the success of the trailer, Pennywise made quite the entrance. The rest of the audio is a great, I'm sorry, the rest of the trailer is a great audio mix um, of the click of the slideshow with heart racing music. Um, flashes of the children running through the barrens, running away from the leper. Can't wait to see that. Another example of, um, of them taking elements from the, the book that weren't um, uh, in the ABC movie like the, uh, like the House on Nightbolt Street. Uh, the mulleted uh, muscle car driving Henry Bowers finding a red balloon. Uh, the claws, uh, the clown's claws approaching the cowering losers in Nybolt Street. Now, I, I hit pause for a second on, on, on that scene because I wanted to see exactly what was going on. Because it looks like Richie is trying to convince Stan, um, or maybe Eddie, uh, to do something while um, Bev is tugging on Richie's shirt. Now... I'm wondering if it's Eddie um, that he's talking on, or that, that he's trying to convince. Um, I wonder if this is going to be the, the famous, this is battery acid, you slime scene, um, which is when Eddie squirts the, the clown with the, his inhaler, and then the, the clown acts like he's been burned with battery acid. Now, in the book, uh, the showdown in Nybolt Street is where they wound the clown with the silver slugs, um, showing off. Uh, Bev's pretty awesome slingshot abilities. So I'm interested to see what, what happens here. Uh, we also get uh, glimpses of young Mike uh, staring at a door with flames licking the edges from within and, and charge, charred hands uh, banging from the inside. So I would probably guess that this is a ghostly recreation of the fire at the black spot. Now that to me makes sense. By touching upon that plot point, again, you're mining aspects from the book that weren't incorporated into the miniseries. And based on that article that I read from birthmoviesdeath.com, the, the Black Spot flashback was included in uh, Kerry Fukunaga's original script when he was originally attached as director. It looks like Kerry Fukunaga had wanted to include those uh, interludes that King had in the book. So that would include the uh, fire at the Black Spot. It would include that logging scene. Um, during more pioneer times or earlier times when there's that showdown in, in the saloon and uh, the, the guy just goes on a murder rampage, um, revealing um, Pennywise playing the piano. That from what the 
the way that it's described as how it play out in, in Kerry Fukunaga's version, it, it's very, very creepy. Really getting the sense of what the history of dairy is. So, I mean, the fact that they have the fire at the black spot complete in Kerry Fukunaga's uh, script, Dick Holleran is, is right there with Mike's uh, father, which is very, very cool uh, for fans in the know. Um, so I'm not surprised that if this is the, a, a, a hint at the fire of the black spot, um, I'm not surprised. We also get a hilariously over-the-top face splashing of blood from Bev's sink, uh, leading to a very elegant um, tease of a balloon floating up past Pennywise's face. So you see just like the bottom half of, of his face. It's a, That picture made the rounds on the internet the, the other day as well. Um, great, great picture. And as I said, the, the audio at this point is a mix of the click of a slideshow with the uh, heart racing music. And so with each click, of the slideshow, um, you get the text, which ultimately reads, what are you afraid of? Um, and the teaser ends with Bill either in a, a sewer or a flooded basement or um, the standpipe um, as he is taunted by the ghost of his dead brother while a waterlogged Pennywise watches from the water like an alligator emerging from the swamp. Here we get the you'll float two line that I mentioned earlier before the trailer finally ends with a monstrous Pennywise scrambling out of the water towards Bill. So all in all, um, this was a great trailer, guys. Um, as it goes down, it's it's to me one of um, it's it's I'm gonna consider it like one of the greatest trailers that I've I've ever seen. It has me really excited. It really, really does. I think that it was very effective at selling the tone, um, at establishing the setting and the conflicts, um, introducing the characters. I would imagine that the next trailer probably will focus a little bit more on the characters, which I also look forward to, to seeing as well. So all in all, like this this has been a great couple of days. As I tweeted out on, uh, on Wednesday night, I said, was anyone else addicted to this trailer? Because I watched it at least seven times. Um, and this trailer smashed records. That's the thing, is that um, we are talking about a horror movie trailer um, obliterating its competition. Um, so that is very, very impressive. And it is um, putting New Line Cinema in a really, really good spot here. They should be very, very happy. Uh, their marketing team, uh, whoever is in charge of that, should get a raise because he or she or they are, are doing a hell of a job at selling this movie. Um, so I am very excited for everything that we get between now and September 28th. This is going to be very, very exciting. Um, so it's a really good time to be a Stephen King fan. And, you know, this September, I, I can't think of a better way to kick off uh, Halloween season by watching this movie. So before I, I, I talk about um, how successful this trailer was, let me just very briefly talk about this birth movies death uh, article that I keep mentioning. So just a couple things that, that stick out um, in Kerry Fukunaga's um, original draft before he left. So some of the changes that he makes um, are aesthetic and, and minor changes. So there's some name changes and we're not getting those changes um, based on what I've seen in, the, in this teaser. So for instance, Bill isn't Bill, he's Will Denbro. Um, he's referred to as Bill here. Um, and I would imagine that he's Will Denbro and not Bill Denbro, probably because Bill Denbro was 
a name that would probably be a bit more appropriate for a movie and original story set in 1958, whereas Will probably is more along the lines of a name that you would find in the 1980s, um, much in the way that Henry Bowers um, is changed from Henry to Travis. Again, Travis being a very 80s name, that makes sense to me, much like Troy, uh, the name of the bully from Stranger Things. A um, couple other changes that um, I remember reading about that I thought were very effective was that the the forms that Pennywise would take <clears throat> were based on the psychological fears of the children rather than the pop culture fears speaking to the horror sensibilities um, of horror at the time. Now, so remember that the novel itself was Stephen King's thesis statement on horror. So for him to tell a fictionalized version of characters interacting with horror um, personified by this shape-shifting clown, he was able to speak about his experience with horror growing up, namely the monster movies of the 1950s. So that makes sense based on what Stephen King was doing telling his story. What Kerry Fukunaga wanted to do telling his story because he doesn't have that personal immediacy with 1950s horror movies, and he's not telling a story about the history of his personal experience with uh, horror movies growing up in the 1950s, he was going to take it from a more psychological approach. So each of the characters, and this is true within King's works too, each of the characters find themselves in um, more psychological... Um, and internal conflicts with the world around them. So, for instance, you have Stan, who is defined by order and cleanliness. And so, in the script, he was um, studying for his bar mitzvah, and that was his focus, and it was organizing his life. And because he's so dedicated to cleanliness, there is a scene in which the clown kind of takes a playbook out of... Um, the, the Shining and emerges as a, a, a seductress to, to, you know, um, to woo him. Um, but then you also have something that I think is a lot more terrifying and a lot more fitting with Bev, uh, whose relationship with her father in the book um, defined her relationship with all men. And the, uh, the relationship was creepy, to say the least, because it was so, he was so controlled in what she should be as a woman and her sexuality um that it really spoke to like him like i don't know him um not admitting like the attraction that he had to his daughter so in mean, that that subtext there is very very creepy and that subtext becomes text in carrie fukunaga's script where um pennywise takes advantage of bill of um, bev's fears by taking on the form of her father um, trying to force himself upon her. Um, you have uh, Bill, Bill's fears being the death of his uh, brother, so Pennywise takes the form of um, Georgie, which we seem to get here um, in, in, uh, in this teaser. With Mike, you have the black spot rather than Rodan, um, which makes sense based on the history of what his father tells him and him being you know, uh, a black kid in a predominantly all-white town. 
So these are the fears that Pennywise is preying upon rather than um, doing riffs on your classic horror movies, whether it be The Creature from the Black Lagoon or The Mummy or The Wolfman or Dracula or Rodan or more just horrifying ideas like blood-sucking leeches. Um, so I, I'm into that. I was totally into that. I don't know if we're going to get that. I don't know if we're going to get more generic monster villainy, which we totally could. Um, you know, based on one of the shots in the, the, the teaser, you see kind of hairy claws. So we might get some variation of the I was a teenage werewolf. I don't know. I don't know what, what, what's in store. I like the psychological approach. Um, and based on the concept art um, that, that we had of Gary Fukunaga's uh, vision of what the clown should look like, it's truly horrifying. So we would get our horror as well. Um, it also looks like this, the, the, the genesis for this form of Pennywise is rooted in um, Kerry Fukunaga's original vision, where it was a, a hodgepodge of um, different looks of what clowns look like throughout the centuries, um, with Pennywise himself being very childlike um, in spirit, which is what it looks like that we get here with uh, Pennywise in, um, in the new director's uh, movie. So, I don't know. I don't know how much it's going to hew to uh, Fukunaga's original vision, but it looks like there's some um, some uh, vestigial remains uh, left over. And also in Fukunaga's original uh, script, they go beneath the sewers um, and they find the entrance to the deadlights and I need to reread this closer but I guess it's a really trippy looking scene with um, with water flowing upwards and a pool and beneath the pool it's like infinite space um, and like reality just isn't reality anymore and like the, the, the clown reveals its true form, which is the deadlights, and it's taking on the form of, like, this glowing, like, starfish thing with tentacles. So rather than a spider, it's more of, like, a undersea uh, monstrosity. Kind of speaks to the Lovecraftian influences of the original text. Um, so it just all sounds horrifying. Um, so I'm into it. I was totally into everything that I read about the summary of Kerry Fukunaga's. With that said, I'm totally into everything that I saw in this teaser trailer as well. And I really like the decision that started with Fukunaga and continued by New Line that you just split it into, you tell the story of the kids first, then the story of the adults rather than interweaving it. I like it. Um, for one, it's going to give us just two hours with the kids. You're going to make us feel like we're there with the kids so that when we reunite with the characters as adults, we feel like we are reuniting with the characters like we feel like we will have spent time we will see the changes in them um that is i it's a good smart storytelling decision i'm glad that they're doing it that way and by all accounts based on what i'm going to read to you next um there's no way that this sequel doesn't happen so um from forbes um alicia grouso writes when it was first announced fans were skeptical about a remake of stephen king's it particularly when the project got mired in production hell and a bit of casting carousel happened before settling on its final contracts. The sentiment was a reasonable one. I'm as big a King fan as anyone, and I can admit that film adaptations of his novels are largely hit or miss. And, well, how could one possibly replace the iconic Tim Curry as Pennywise the Clown? 
but the first trailer was released this week after its showing at CinemaCon, and the conversation changed. The buzz surrounding it was overwhelmingly positive, with fans and press alike remarking on the fact that it looks genuinely scary while remaining true to the novel. It also appears to be different enough from the 1990 TV miniseries adaptation to stand on its own while still respecting the original source material. It's difficult to determine how successful a trailer was just by looking at buzz without actually checking the hard data. But today, Warner Brothers confirmed that I was indeed right to be hopeful for the film. The first 24 hours of the trailer were wildly successful, with the studio reporting that it received 197 million views globally, with more than 81 million views and 1.8 million shares through U.S.-based Facebook alone. In fact, the trailer was so well-received that its 197 million views smashed the previous 24-hour first-day record held by Universal's The Fate of the Furious by 58 million views. The trailer for that film generated 139 million views in its first 24 hours after release. The most current numbers provided to WB were for the 36-hour mark. To that point, the IT trailer was sitting at a whopping 246 million views. Based on those numbers and the positive chatter around the film, it looks as though IT could very well be a sleeper hit for the studio, and it's something Warner Brothers needs badly. The Lego Batman movie and Kong Skull Island have already been box office hits for them this year, and Wonder Woman is a near-guaranteed success for them. But smaller films like Fist Fight and The Chips remake did not fare well, with big questions remain about other upcoming films, most notably King Arthur, The Legend of the Sword. The studio has also suffered a few setbacks in its DC Extended Universe, to say the least, um, both from a business and public perception standpoint in the last few months, which reports of directors stepping down, scripts getting page one rewrites, projects being put on hold, and scrambles to get other projects filmed so as to keep up with their projections for 2018. It, with its more moderate budget being a genuine hit, the box office could go a long way in providing an unexpected buffer should some of their later releases this year flounder. So, um, I wanted to read that less about the, the knocks at DC um, and more about just the, the, the pure hard data of the numbers and how popular this trailer was um, and how positive it seems to be among everyone that, that is watching it. So... Sony, get your act together. I mean, come on. I wasn't going to get through an entire episode without bringing up the goddamn Dark Tower. What is going on? What is happening? What is happening? So, okay, okay. So I'm not going to be negative here. I'm going to be positive. So I wasn't, I didn't realize I could be this excited for it, right? And that changed in the span of a day. So all it's going to take is a day for Sony to get me back on board with the Dark Tower. It's already got me kind of there. With the teaser uh, poster. I'm excited for the poster. I like it. There's some good stuff there. It's not exactly what I expected or wanted from the Dark Tower. Um, but it has Jake, has Roland, has the Man in Black, and it has the negative space of the Dark Tower, which is pretty awesome. So, um, Dark Tower footage, come on. I know that they screened some at, at CinemaCon to mixed reviews. Looks like um, non fans of, of Stephen King. Um, or the Dark Tower, who weren't familiar out, familiar about it, are very intrigued by it. While fans, it seems, um, have mixed reviews. On one hand, they like some of the things that they, they see. Um, one reviewer, um, Quint, I believe from Ain't It Cool, uh, really discussed how 
it shows Roland's gunslinging abilities as really like a supernatural phenomenon, how it doesn't matter where you are, if he wants to shoot you, you're dead, which I think is pretty cool. But there's some elements that are just like, ugh, groan-worthy. Like the, the guns glow when he shoots them, and that to me is just a misunderstanding of what the text is. I don't, it doesn't add anything. In fact, it quite takes away from it, but I'll see it. I'll wait. I'll wait to cast my own judgment. Whenever you're ready, Sony. New Line has thrown down the gauntlet. Time to pick it up. You know, it's not even a gauntlet. It's just New Line's throwing a party. Just show up. Let's celebrate some Stephen King. Waiting on you, Sony. Waiting on Dark Tower. Um, but guys, thanks for sticking around. Um, I've been talking for over an hour now about a uh, teaser that was two minutes long. So what to expect next for the Stephen King cast. Um, I would love to talk about the Dark Tower trailer if we're ever going to get one. Uh, so that will probably be my next um, topic of discussion. So stick around for that. And like I said in the last episode, um, later this spring or this summer, at some point, um, you will get the Stephen King cast back to a weekly basis um, as I head back into the texts and start reviewing these short stories and novellas that I, I glossed over um, because I had reviewed the collected short stories, but not necessarily <coughs> every short story found within. So I'm going to do a completest deep dive, read everything, get through all of that, probably in time for Castle Rock to start airing. Then I'll be doing a, a um, weekly review of Castle Rock. So either later this spring or this summer, I'll be back full-time, guys, for you. I'm doing it for you because I honestly do miss this. So me and the pugs will rejoin you on a weekly basis. Until then, um, I will be back when there is Stephen King news, big Stephen King news to be had, and hopefully that news will be the Dark Tower trailer, which was not coming out July 28th anymore. It is now coming out in August because the the it's making way for the Emoji movie. So I'll let that sink in. In the meantime, may you have long days and pleasant nights, and I will see you here next time, where M-O-O-N spells Stephen King. You'll float too. You'll float too. You'll float too. You'll float too.